Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to podcast number 141, 141 podcast of Loving the Christ Life. Boy, it's gone fast, and thank God Warren Litzman thought ahead to leave us so many great, great teachings behind that we can bring you for a long time to come. We are in now to a wonderful study called Out of Law into Grace, one of the most important studies, I think, that you will ever get into, and Warren Litzman breaks it down beautifully. Let's get right into this week's Here's Warren. Well, let's go a little further. Then Paul says, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I'm a go-getter. I'm an activist. If Paul had been living today, he would be out with the activists on the streets, carrying the signs and doing all the things because he wasn't the kind that could sit still and do nothing about it. He was full of zeal. He had a zeal. But look what else he has in this sixth verse. Persecuted the church. Persecuting the church. He's a bad fella. Today the problem is people love church buildings sometimes more than they love God. He persecuted that church. Touching righteousness, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. How in the world is he going to leave something that he was perfect at? He's the only one I know of in the scriptures that would ever say I was blameless when it comes to the law. Because God's whole intent with the law was nobody could perfectly live it. And here Paul says, I was blameless. I kept the law. Somebody said to me, well, you need to break down the definition of the law. Paul didn't. He said, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. What did he mean by that? Anything I do that I have to do to be who I am is under the law. In another place, he could say, I am who I am by the grace of God. That's different, you see. That's different. Till in verse 6, blameless. I kept the law. I live in a generation of people who have become more of a Holy Ghost people than a Christ people. I grew up with them. Pentecostalism, charismatica, and such. Many of you have gone through that. That's the way I lived. At that time, I would have died for certain things I believed. But when it come to grace on Paul's part, having been an astute believer in what it was he lived in. He said, I was blameless in that. But we're going to see that when he came to grace, 
He had to leave all of that. He had to leave it. I still believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just believe that you got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. And that along the way you have feelings of it more than some days than others. But the Holy Spirit is not salvation because he, he kind of comes and goes on your part. If you haven't been in the scriptures for several days, the Holy Spirit's not talking to you much or whatever because he's kind of dependent upon your will and your giving yourself to him so that you might know the things of the Lord. But the Christ in you is always there. Never leaving you. Never forsaking you. You ever felt like you were blameless in what you believed before? What about your past walk with God? Did you ever feel like, have you ever felt like you were blameless? That it was perfect? Sure you did. You wouldn't have been in it if you hadn't have felt that way. But you know what? We're going to see that he has to leave that behind. He's going to leave it behind. He's going to take that step into grace and it's going to cost him his past religion of which he says, I'm blameless. Blameless. Next verse opens it up to us. But what things? Things? Those things that he was blameless in, those things that he would have died for, those things that were an important part of his life, life and death matters, those were things. Not big issues when it came to grace. Not big powerful things when it came to following Jesus. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. First step in the grace. Those things I counted lost for Christ. I guess I talk from a different viewpoint because when I got a hold of this message in 1960, I was a big dog in my denomination. I could preach in any church we had, had open invitations to any church in that, in that denomination. And I'm not boasting here. But that was a thing. That was a thing. I knew this message would separate me from every brother that pastored a church. It would separate me. And if I had the courage to go ahead and preach it, I would separate people from that preacher because there would be hungry hearts there to receive. And that wasn't my business to separate them. But God do that. So when I started this message, I suffered the loss 
of things I really loved and believed in. But I could see there was no comparison between those things and Christ in me. There had to be a big difference because I had learned how to do these other things, how to deal with a crowd, how to raise my money, how to forward my position in life. I'd learned how to do it, knew I could do it. I'd done it to foreign people, I'd done it to ignorant people, stupid people, and intelligent people. I knew how to do it. But I knew when it came to me following Christ in the in Christ position by grace that none of that worked. None of it was important. And I suffered the loss of it. I and my dear wife didn't have anything. I walked away from the whole business of it. But we've never regretted that. It's been the greatest thrill I've ever had. But it didn't come easy. And yet, I preach to great numbers of people who hear this message and mix it. They're afraid to come into grace and they're afraid to leave what they believe. So important in this first step in the grace is what you leave behind. Good things. Good things you leave behind. Things that were powerful. Things that you felt came directly from God to you. Look at it. Things that were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. Notice, God never asked him to do that. The Holy Spirit never moved upon him in a great way and say, leave that past behind. Leave it all behind. Don't think about it anymore. The Holy Spirit never worked on it. Look at the language. Those I counted, I counted, I. I. What are we dealing with there? We're dealing with the love affair. I counted loss for Christ. You get it? Who did it? He did it. Somebody make him do it? No. Did the church people make him do it? No. How did he do it? When he met Jesus, he called him Lord. And he was willing to do whatever Jesus wanted. And his past did not parallel that call. He did it. Consecration is never a force of God. It's something you do. Something you do. In this, uh, we'll not get to it, but in this third chapter of Philippians, uh, beginnings, well, beginning at verse 4, 
we have listed in this one chapter, Paul lists 16 eyes. He lists 16 eyes. Who's going to make this step into God's grace? You already have its fullness in you. Who's going to cause you to move into that grace of God? Nobody but you. It's you. It's you. I've had many an alcoholic look at me and say, well, when God is ready for me to quit drinking, he'll take it away from me. I look them right back and say, you couldn't be more misled. God may help you, but you're going to do it. You're going to want to do it. You're going to have a love affair going. It's like a man getting ready to marry a little woman and he gets to thinking about it. Well, somebody's making me do this. My mama's always wanted me to marry and here I am about to do it. That's no premise to be married on. Nobody makes you to do the important things of life. You make your mind up to do it. Especially when it comes from law to grace. God is not going to take law away from believers who practice it. You know why? How many churches, 90% of God's people are under some part of the law. How many of them are going to lead the way to leave the law behind? I don't know of any of them hardly that are doing that. I see a lot of co-minglers who talk as if they are. But there's nobody really doing that. Why? It doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't cost the preacher anything to mention grace all the time in his sermon so that you think he's preaching grace. It doesn't cost anything. But for those who really take this step from law to grace, there's going to be a price to pay because you're going to make your mind up to do it. That's the first thing you do with that mind of yours saying it is no longer I that is important. I see now it's Christ. That's the decision. Sixteen times I think it is he uses the word I in this third chapter. To me that was important. It wasn't something God laid on his heart. It wasn't something God told him to do. To come into God's grace with understanding and to follow this in Christ message that God had given him, it was up to him to do it. And from the first moment he met Christ, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Me to do. What do you want me to do? So in this third chapter, he said, I will. I will. Sixteen times he says, I will. I'll do that. He said, I counted it all lost for Christ. I ask you, have you ever made a list of anything in your past that you counted loss for Jesus? Can you think of anything? In the kingdom message, you have, to, you have no price to pay. If you've got a hard time, God will give you a message, a miracle. 
But you know what? Sometime you need to make that list. People that are under an uh, Alcoholic Anonymous contract with the big book have one point in it. I, I don't remember which it, one it is. But they have one point in it that says, make a list of everything about yourself. Now, I'm not asking you to do that under any kind of a law. But what is it you've counted lost for Christ? What is it? It's so easy to come into the Christ life. Easy, nothing to it. All you got to do is be in a few meetings and you start talking like all the rest of us. <laughs> it costs you nothing. What is it you've left behind? I've seen people that didn't need the meeting where we desperately needed them and the awful excuses they give for not making a meeting made me to think that's something they need to leave behind. They need to leave that behind. That doesn't have anything to do with this new life in Christ. What is it you've left behind? Think about it. You just wade out in the water and got swamped by it and thinking everything's all right. Sure it is. It is all right. His grace is good. When I, when I knew nothing about the grace of God, I saw miracles. I saw healings. Now I look back on it and I say, how in the world could you do that, Lord? And the Holy Spirit would always say, that was the grace of God. He was helping, helping people. That was grace. But that's not living grace. That's not being a grace believer and walking in it. So just think about it. Mark that seventh verse. What have you counted lost for Christ? You do it. In these meetings, I've never hit people over the head over what I thought they ought to do how they ought to live. I'm not going to start. But it'd be good that you write down what it is you've left, you've suffered the loss of to know Jesus. What is it? Let's go to another verse. You'll feel better. <laughs> verse 8 says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Did you mark that I? I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now let's stop right there. What is the greatest knowledge you could have? Here's a man who is the highest educated man we know of in the scripture. He had two degrees, maybe two PhDs in equivalent in our day. He had a father who was rich enough to buy that for him. 
And he said unto the two most masterful teachers in that day, smart man, highly intelligent, by his own word, he was circumcised right. He's of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and touching the law, a Pharisee. Look at what all he knew. To come to that place, he had to have a wisdom. Poor old brother Peter, who was a fisherman, couldn't touch Paul in knowledge and secular understanding. That's why God chose him on the day of Pentecost to preach because he would tell everybody like it was. But Paul was somebody God trusted with information that he never trusted another human being with in the whole of this book. So you see, it was very important about this fellow. He suffered it for the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. There's not anything that irks me more than for somebody to say, yeah, I know all about this Christ life. My preacher talks about it all the time. Somebody's always coming to him and say, oh, I heard brother so-and-so on the radio and he came right down the line on the Christ life message. That's not the kind of thing Paul was talking about. When he said, I have suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. What do you mean by that? I tell you what he meant. Read the first chapter of Colossians. Here we have a good picture of Jesus. He created. He has to do with all things. Everything in this universe holds together by Christ. He is the atom that holds everything together. This world fall apart, according to Colossians 1, if he didn't hold it together. You never thought about that, did you? You pick up the newspaper and you see that everybody's scared to death that we're going to do something that's going to hurt us. Excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was interested in. He could see there was nothing like Jesus. He could see that Christ was the one who was the creator of the whole thing. That Jesus Christ was not just God's Son, spiritually speaking, and not just one who died on the cross, spiritually speaking. But he said, there is a knowledge connected with Jesus Christ that I give myself to. The excellency of knowledge is centered in the person of Jesus. He said, I suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of that knowledge. Why? Because none of the things he lists that he was, none of the education he has taught him anything in comparison to who Jesus Christ was. Now, I don't know what kind of knowledge you're after. Somebody's always saying, well, every time you talk, you talk about being in Christ. That's right. That's a knowledge so far out and so great that I haven't even gotten a hold of it yet. You understand that? 
I haven't gotten a hold of it. That, that's the excellency of knowledge that goes way beyond me even at this time. How we could all be placed in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, into one body. That's a knowledge. You can read it and you can say that's it. But the knowledge of it is lost. Because we haven't gotten there yet. Paul got it. He got it when Jesus was Lord of his life. He got a hold of it right off and said, there's not anything that's ever happened to me that is important as the excellency of this knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now law is the thing that will keep you from that knowledge. Because that's that's the inference he gives in these verses of Scripture. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. There are very few people I know today who want to be winners. What is a winner? It's somebody that knows Christ. Who has entered into that excellency of knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. It's in these epistles. I've read it again and again as I go through certain verses in Paul's epistle and wonder about that verse. I read under people who write about Paul and they are scratching their heads saying, well, that's kind of far out. Don't, don't get mixed up in that. Let's move on. Why? The excellency of knowledge is of no interest to them. I ran into some people the other day who said, my preacher will not preach anything from Paul. And the reason why is they don't understand him. It isn't Paul they don't understand. It's Jesus. Because Paul would never say that he's greater than Peter or he's greater than James or John or Isaiah or David or anybody. But he would say that he suffered the loss of everything for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. He suffered the loss. Does it hurt you to get rid of something that keeps you from knowing Christ in His fullness? Sure it does. Because you may not have formed that love affair with Jesus. Our fellows talking on the radio yesterday about a man who lost his cat. And he actually, over the radio, talking to that radio host, began to cry. And the radio host sympathized with him like his grandmother had died. Now, I'm not against cats. <laughs> but I say that to let you know that we get generally stirred up over things that hurt us in life. But Paul would look you straight in the eye and say, that's just a thing you suffer for the excellency of this knowledge. Give it up. Give it up. We're going to close with verse 10.
The reason he did all of this is that to the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God would come to him by that faith. I could go into that line and make a whole nother session with you. We'll not do it because we've done that many times. This is where he uses the term the faith of Christ. How is it that anyone could ever step from law to grace and suffer the loss of everything that has made them who they were on their own? Paul said, no. You don't get righteousness from this. It's the righteousness of Christ. And then he also says, it's the faith of Jesus Christ in operation. Don't trust yourself to know. Let the faith of Jesus Christ operate in you. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We'll stop right there. That's not the end, but we'll stop there because he lists three things that's in the excellency of knowledge. Mark those three things. That's what you need to ask God about. That's what you need to concentrate on. The Holy Spirit's the only one that will help you. I want to say this now in closing this, and listen to me closely. Whatever Paul laid aside to have this knowledge was not destroyed, even though he called it dumb of no importance. That's in comparison with Jesus. But his training, his understanding, his ability to handle a subject was important to God and that comes through in his writings, comes through in his life so that everything he gave up simply made room for what was necessary for him to be a servant of God. You don't give up your education to come to Jesus. You lay it aside and say that it is not important to this knowledge of Christ. Make it of an unimportance. But you know what? That's still in your mind. And when Christ becomes your all, that gives you an ability to reveal Christ. But you've got to suffer the loss of it before you know that, even as Paul did. There's much more could be said on that, but I've talked long enough. You're such a wonderful, faithful group. God love you. And the amazing, wonderful thing about every one of you is that you're being taught with the Spirit and you're learning things that I'll never know. I hope you share them with us. But make sure it's Jesus. Just Jesus. Amen? You're the best group I've seen all day long here tonight. God love you. Amen. Reach over and take your neighbor by the hand. It's that time again. Reach over and take your neighbor by the hand.
Take your neighbor by the hand and look them straight in the eye. Now remember, you're looking at a place where Jesus lives. There are people that spend thousands of dollars to find out where he walked 2,000 years ago. But you look at the person next to you and that's right where Jesus lives. So say, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. In your life and all that you do. I see Jesus in you. Because I see Jesus in me. I see Jesus in me. In my life and all that I do. I see Jesus in me. That's it. Hug every neck you can till we meet in the morning. Well, we're going to have to stop right here for this week. We hope you're enjoying this wonderful lesson from Warren Litzman, the great study in Out of Law into Grace. It's so special, and we hope you're enjoying it. Don't forget to tell your family and friends about this podcast, especially now during this particular study of Out of Law into Grace. It's just amazing. Now, also, we'd love for you to go to our website, christ-life.org. That's where you can read all about our In Christ message, our Christ Life message, christ-life.org. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful teachings of Warren Litzman. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports, our notes for what you download that week. And every week, this program is produced by the very talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.